0: Coming up on Pass the Secret Sauce.
1: Start with your customer, start with revenue, and engineer everything back from that. It's a lot easier to have a conversation with customers about money than it is about technology and so forth. I like to tell our team, when artificial intelligence works, we call it software. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't work, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence, And our customers really don't care about the AI, they care about the results. Mm -hmm. And if we maintain that discipline throughout the organization, it actually makes us, ironically, an AI-first company because everything we do is around our AI targeting to drive revenue growth. But what customers care about is, are you helping me deliver more revenue to my bottom line?
0: Welcome to the show, I'm Matt Shields. On Past the Secret Sauce, we unscramble the life stories, skills, and secrets from the most wicked smart minds and interesting people to uncover their experience and recipes for success that will help you get an edge on your own life. My goal is to help you rein in on the chaos that life throws at us by learning from other high achievers. If you're new to the show, we have episodes with founders, CEOs, investors, and leaders. So if you like to learn and are motivated to improve your life, then kick back and listen to our guests pass their secret sauce. Today on Pass the Secret Sauce, we have Olin Hyde, who is the CEO of a company called Lead Crunch, which is actually on the Fortune 500 this year. So great, big congrats there. Uh, Olin actually is a very, very experienced entrepreneur. He's had a couple of exits and has a great deal of knowledge and experience in building companies. So today's episode was a lot of fun. We learned a lot from Olin about building culture and and growing your teams and expanding things. Lead Crunch is actually a really interesting product. They they use AI to be able to look at companies' data and determine different markets that they, or different opportunities that they can go after and and have a good chance of succeeding at it. So again, great conversation today with Olin, and uh, I hope you enjoy this episode of Pass the Secret Sauce.
1: Dysfunctional. Extremely <laughs> dysfunctional. That's the single word answer. Yeah? Did, did you have siblings or...? Yeah. So my parents divorced in a long, ugly divorce, probably when I started when I was about six and about eight, I think the divorce was finalized. And um, so I was shuttled between a lot of houses. Um, Mm -hmm. I had uh, my mother remarried and to a family that had two much older siblings. My father remarried into a family that had three other siblings. And so I actually had a total of, what is that? I had a biological sister. So I had six brothers and sisters growing wow. up. Wow. Uh, and then as an adult, uh, my father remarried again at the age of 81, adding four more siblings. So I have wow. a total of 10 siblings. And I think that, you know, my childhood was not a particularly happy one. You know, I don't think that I felt it was tough. I was fortunate in a lot of ways. I was fortunate that I was in a middle class family. So I think I had a lot of shots on goal, so to speak, multiple chances to recover from failure, which, which helped me a lot because I was not a particularly good student in school. I got kicked out of the gifted program for misbehavior. I graduated the bottom half of my high school class. But because of the you know, middle class nature of my family, I was still able to go to college, still able to get a job. And when I graduated from high school, I, I grew up in southwestern Pennsylvania in a little town called Latrobe. And when I graduated from high school in 1984, the economy was just in the tank. Yeah. You know, I, I thought that I really wanted to get a job to see the world. Uh, I needed to make some money. And, I, you know, there's no opportunity in the coal mines. There's no opportunity in the steel mills. They were all laying people off. Mm-hmm. I tried to go into the merchant marine and couldn't get a job there either. And so going to college was plan D okay. and I was very fortunate that a, that a friend of mine talked me into it. And um, I was fortunate enough to have a family background because I think the other alternative for me was to go sign up for the military. And um, so I, I think a lot of my life has really been lucky in a way. I think that I was fortunate to have started businesses with some really great people. Mm-hmm. I started my first company when I was 25 and I think that was a real seminal moment in my life to learn what it took to actually start a business and, and grow a business.
0: Yeah, yeah. And talk a little bit about what the inspiration was to start that first that first business. You hadn't ever had any entrepreneurial tendencies before that it sounds like. What, what, what made you want to jump into? Yeah, business? I did
1: have a little bit of entrepreneurial tendencies before that. So okay. when I was a kid growing up, I had a uh, paper route when I was, you know, back when we delivered papers, I was probably about, I think the minimum age was you had to be 12. And I think I got my first paper out right at the age of 12. I also cut grass and shoveled snow and did whatever I could do to make some money. My father actually started his first business at the age of 48. He was broke. He was divorced. He didn't have anything left to lose. And so he started his first business and he was very successful after I had left the house. Mm-hmm. And I, always wanted to be an entrepreneur. In fact, I became a very good student in college. And when I got uh, out of college, I worked at a strategy consulting firm. And it was like one of these two or three year analyst positions. And then they push you off to go get an MBA. Mm -hmm. I got into an MBA program and I went to the interview to talk to the other students. I realized I was just kind of different material. They were there to try to figure out what they wanted to do. I knew what I wanted to do. Okay. And in the course of my day job as an as a, uh, uh, analyst at this consulting firm, I ran into an opportunity uh, to create a new class of software to manage corporate real estate assets. Okay. And that was my first startup. And so the real motivation was auto- uh, autonomy. I wanted to have control over my life and I wanted to be my own boss. And I've gone through that cycle. I think it's a personality disorder, actually, to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I don't think it's something I would really highly recommend. <laughs> really like working for years for free yeah, and good. having endless struggle until you figure out actually how to grow revenue. And that's you know, and those moments are precious, rare, and don't happen very often.
0: Well, that's going to be a, a big focus of what we're talking about today: is growing revenue and. You've obviously had great success with with Lead Crunch. You've grown revenues by seven thousand two hundred and forty eight percent since twenty seventeen. Talk a little bit about some of the things that you worked on, or, or what did you focus on to be able to make such large strides, you know, that quickly?
1: Yeah, the key to growing revenue is to solve a problem that people that that create an existential threat to your customer. So in our case, we are a business-to-business artificial intelligence that helps marketers find the right audience and engage that audience of ideal prospects to become their next best customer. Mm -hmm. And so what we fundamentally do is find the ideal customer profile based on account-based marketing lists or prior customers so you can give us any list and we'll find lookalikes to that list technically what we're doing is very similar for b2b marketing what facebook and google did for b2c marketing and that is facebook replaced demographic segmentation with psychographic segmentation mm-hmm. instead of looking at where do you live and your age and you know what your education is which are all demographic profiles. Mm -hmm. They looked at what do you like? Who are you friends with? What are your friends like? And it's a much more networked approach of understanding who you are as a person. What we do business to business marketing is fundamentally different. The way you grow revenue in a B2B market is very different than the way you grow revenue in B2C. Mm -hmm. One example of that difference is in business to consumer marketing personalization increases the conversion rate and that obviously drives up revenue Mm -hmm. in b2b you're selling to an organization where there's multiple decision makers or at least multiple people influencing the decision and so you have to build consensus so if you're selling to an organization that has five influencers and one decision maker if six different people that are involved in the decision if you personalize the message you're likely to amplify the differences between those six people. You're not mm-hmm. going to build consensus. Mm-hmm. So, what we do is we replace firmographic marketing with what we call buying signals. Firmographic marketing is what's your revenue, what's your headcount, what industry are you in? And those are all fundamentally flawed. For example, what industry is Apple Computer in? Are they a retailer? Are they a movie production house? Yeah. Do they make computers? Technology, yeah. Technology, yeah. Technology is so broad, it's, it's yeah. meaningless, right? So that's true of almost every company is a company grows revenue by being differentiated. And that differentiation is how that company fits into another company's supply chain. So what we do is we look at how do companies operate, their operational profile, how they work internally. Mm-hmm. And what is their business profile? How do they present themselves to the outside world? And between these two dimensions, we can tell you how every company fits into every other company's supply chain and why one company might be interested in another company's product or service.
2: Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Virtus Technology a call today.
1: And these are buying signals that are oftentimes unique to each individual
0: company. Wow. And that's what we're doing. So what types of buying signals can you tap into? Like, What, what, what types of what types of signals are there available for you to i guess pull or or find
1: first off there's an array or multiple buying signals for any given company it's not one simple answer uh let's take an example one of our customers sells voice over internet which yeah. is a way of replacing old landline telephones and it's a really interesting business because once you go with a uh it's known by its acronym VoIP, once you go with a VoIP provider you don't change it's really mm-hmm. sticky revenue mm-hmm. and the adoption's actually quite low in in and it's hard for us to believe in technology in the technology market because we all use VoIP but you know only a less than ten percent of all companies use VoIP there's still a lot of people still using you know uh, the legacy telecom providers so they were used to use. Firmographic marketing, we sell to companies with more than 200 employees. We sell to these industries. We like these locations because that's where we've had prior customers. Mm -hmm. We replaced that with a different way of thinking about it. We looked at who they sell to and we found a signal which we call communicativeness. What portion of their employee base are in high communication roles? High communication role would be sales, customer service, customer success versus low communication roles, which might be engineering. And that ratio very clearly explained who their best customers were, uh-huh. far better than a headcount. Yeah. And we're actually able to determine how quickly someone would buy their VoIP based on another dimension called cloudiness. To what degree is a company migrated their technologies into the cloud? If they were 100% in the cloud, chances are they were already with a competitor, mm-hmm. bad fit. If they were 0% in the cloud, hard sales cycle. So there's actually a sweet spot between 20 and 40% where they had the shortest sales cycle. So we could tell them who to target and what would be the fastest uh, sales. Wow. And we're actually able to increase their conversion rate 700% Wow. while we increase their available market by more than 300%.
0: That's incredible. What 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 would be the setup for someone that is looking for your services? Like what type of information? I, I know that you said, you know, if you have a list, uh, that would be great. What, what happens if someone doesn't have a list? Is there any way that you have some type of a database already? No, and, and then I guess how, how large of a list would you need? Is it more the better or is there a minimum that you would need to be able to
1: Yeah, to go, all great questions.
0: No list we're not going to take you as a customer
1: okay. you know, we, we we like to see people with account based marketing lists. those are we think some of the most sophisticated marketers and in an account based marketing environment, we either help you expand your ABM to people that you didn't know about, you know the unknowns, or if you know your market, a lot of the big enterprises know their market extremely well. We help you understand how to expand your presence with the the existing ABM that you have. Mm -hmm. So kind of that expansion share of wallet. If you don't have a list, you're not a good fit for us. In fact, we like to see our customers have sales automation, something like Salesforce, Mm -hmm. marketing automation, something like HubSpot. We like to see them have at least 10 pieces of content, which would be white papers, case studies, best practices guide. This tells us that they are an analytical marketer and they have the tools that we need to do our job. Mm -hmm. It starts off by giving us a list. The list can be as short as 50. More is better. Uh, Our enterprise customers literally gives us thousands of examples. What's unique about our technology is that it can work on as few as 25. Wow. So it will work on very faint signals, but obviously the more data you give it, the smarter it becomes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And what is the turnaround time for you to enter in these these lists and then it to return the results or these are the right types of companies to to, to focus in on? Less than 30 seconds. Okay, okay. So, so when, it's...
1: once you upload it, it's, it's you know, we've, we've done a lot of optimization around the engine, but the engine's looking at billions of data points. And it's in a very fancy, sophisticated cloud computing architecture where if you upload into our system and it gives you the ideal customer profile and a target list. That whole cycle typically takes way less than 30 seconds. Sometimes it's as fast as three or four seconds.
0: Yeah, and, and is this available for pretty well any B2B company or are there certain industries that it works better in than others?
1: It's easier to tell you what we don't do. Okay. <laughs> we don't do business to government. Uh, we don't do a lot of regulated industries. You know, if you need to sell to radiologists, that's a published list. You know, we're not very good. We don't add a lot of value where there's a published list. Where we add the most value is where customers say, well, our sales team can tell you the ideal customer kind of intuitively. There's more than one way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Or where there's a complex sale or complex buyer profile or with, where the actual value of the product is quite high. Not surprisingly, most of our customers are big tech companies. SAP, Google, these type of companies use us quite extensively. What we try to avoid are the really small companies which don't have the analytical discipline to evaluate what we do
0: and give us feedback. We live on feedback. We live on data. So it's almost a partnership then at that point where you're, you're constantly getting you know, the feedback loop from the customer and tweaking and modifying and changing and that.
1: Correct, one of the things that we think, we wanna tie ourselves to revenue growth. So our technology is tied to revenue growth. The best way to do that is to sell campaigns. We price our campaigns based on the value that we're delivering. You can't do that with a subscription. And I don't like to buy subscriptions myself. I like to buy things that I know are gonna get value. So what we like to do is we like to start off with a pilot and that pilot, when it's successful, converts into an ongoing campaign. We are developing technology that will be a subscription for our customers. We plan to give it to our customers as part of the campaigns that we run.
0: Okay, so so that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I, I thought we were just going to be identifying the people that you should target, but you guys actually go into the whole you know building of campaigns and you know the whole marketing end of it as well. Is yeah, it, I think oh, that's I think great.
1: identification is is a parlor trick. I yeah. think that. There's no real way to know whether you've created value by identifying the right person until six months from now. What we wanna deliver is actionable intelligence to grow revenue. Joe is interested in your product for X, Y, and Z reasons. Yeah. This is the content that's most likely to engage him. Give us this content. We're gonna go out and reach out to Joe on your behalf, get him engaged, and we're gonna to deliver to you either a marketing qualified lead or a sales qualified lead or an appointment wow. there's going to be something that you can do with Joe when we hand that information to Joe and oh by the way when we hand you Joe's information it's 99.5% accurate wow compared to you know other data
0: providers the best we've seen is around 80% accuracy. yeah no that's powerful that's very very powerful how how did you get into this space how did you how did did you come up with this idea, or is there a catalyst that that you know put you into this space?
1: <laughs> I, a lot of luck, kind of led us here. I'm not smart enough to have come up with this idea on my own. It's a team effort. We started off with a technology that we thought was very interesting for medical research, and we would actually developed a way of uh, data mining medical research, and it was quite successful technically. You got papers published and the researcher that was using it got funding, but we couldn't sell it. It wasn't commercially viable. We couldn't grow revenue. So we, one of my advisors is the former deputy director of DARPA. He was the undersecretary of defense. And we're having breakfast. And I was telling him my business wasn't going very well. And he said, well, it sounds like a targeting technology. I'm like, yeah, pretty much most AI can be thought of mm-hmm. as a targeting technology because it's pattern recognition. It's like, well, sell it to the military. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. And so uh, he introduced me to a mutual friend of ours that uh, that helped us uh, sell it to Lockheed Martin, and we yeah. actually beat Palantir and IBM Watson to win a contract with Lockheed Martin to develop target wow. verification technologies for the U.S. Navy. I am not well suited to be a defense contractor. <laughs> yeah. So my business partner and I spent a lot of time figuring out, okay, where could we find a commercial application for this targeting technology? And we tried a bunch of different things and eventually stumbled upon demand generation as a way of using targeting technology to help our customers grow revenue. And once you're tied to revenue growth, you're Sticky. You're gonna be there for a long time and your customers love you because that's the name of the game.
0: Yeah, well talk about Sticky. You are uh, number 35 on the Inc. 500 list this year. So congratulations there. Talk a little bit about what it takes to, I guess, enter into being on that list, or how do you, how do you qualify for that list, and, and how do you make your way to number 35 at this point?
1: Yeah, so we went to market really the beginning of 2017. We had a little bit of revenue at the end of 2016, and we were in hyper growth through uh, the middle of 2019 we actually missed our 2019 plan and we made our 2019 plan. We probably would have been in the top five or six. Wow! But the way you get to the Inc 500, the top tier of the Inc 500 is to monomaniacally focus on revenue growth as evidenced by happy customers that keep coming back and buying more and more. Mm -hmm. And that's a much bigger story that involves teamwork you know how do you get from idea to market very quickly and efficiently it's it's a lot of moving parts it requires a management team that works well that's cohesive and along the way when in the hypergrowth you know the things that took us from 0 to 1 million in revenue were a lot different than That took us from 1 million to 10 million in revenue, Mm -hmm. and now we're going from 10 million to 20 million in revenue. That's a completely different game again. Mm -hmm. So, I think one of the hard skills for startups is to understand when they need to change their mindset about how they're growing and what type of skills are necessary to build that next system. That's robust enough to withstand those pressures. Mm-hmm.
0: And and you, when you're saying system, you're 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 basically talking about the systems, procedures, everything, how everybody communicates, how everybody accesses the processes to do this specific task. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys have done to be able to put those systems in place? Any types of tools or suggestions that? That, uh, that you've learned to use over the years to, to sort of systematize your, your process so everything did run as effectively, as efficiently as possible?
1: Yeah, so I, my, my background is in systems engineering with a focus in artificial intelligence. So I think the, our approach is really to look at constraints, is you think of every department as, inter, as in an interface with other departments. Mm-hmm. For instance, let's take a really simple example, accounting your accounting system when you're 1 million looks a lot different than when you're at 12 million. Mm -hmm. It's just a different, different approach. The bad news is like switching accounting systems takes you longer than it does for you to outgrow it. Mm -hmm. So you have to think ahead of where are you going? And this is where venture capital comes into play is if you're growing a hyper growth company and that type of revenue growth will oftentimes cost you more capital than what you have available through bootstrapping. So, you know, Inc. 500 list really should be split into two venture backed companies and non venture backed companies. Because when you're venture backed, you can afford to grow revenue by spending your way to do it. Mm-hmm. When you're bootstrapping, and I've bootstrapped a bunch of companies before I started this one, your growth is really limited by available cash. And cash is king. Mm-hmm. So, kind of the heroes that I think about in terms of where I get inspiration on how to think about this is. The people that really developed the whole cash management paradigm of business. And uh, there's a good book called The Outsiders, which talks about mm-hmm. John Singleton and some of these, these people that really did remarkable jobs of growing these businesses in the, in the 80s and uh, 70s, 80s, and 90s. I think one of the most important things is you know, start with your customer, start with revenue, and engineer everything back from that. It's a lot easier to have a conversation with customers about money than it is about the bullshit of your technology and so forth. I like to tell our team, when artificial intelligence works, we call it software. Mm -hmm. When it doesn't work, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence. And our customers really don't care about the AI. They care about the results. Mm -hmm. And if we maintain that discipline throughout the organization, it actually makes us, ironically, an AI-first company because everything we do is around our AI targeting to drive revenue growth. But what customers care about is, are you helping me deliver more revenue to my bottom line? Yeah, that
0: makes sense. And you kind of touched on a a book there and you you are uh, flanked by couple of bookcases of books. Do you have any other good book recommendations that you've read over the years that have helped you grow revenue? There's,
1: there's so many great books out there. There's also a lot of really bad books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think that uh, not all of the books behind me I would recommend. I think that depending upon where you are in the, in the journey uh, of your career, I think, I, don't, I think it's really important to read books with a critical mind. Mm-hmm. Great books are things that you can disagree with. Peter Thiel's zero to one would be a good example of that. I really think that that framework of how to create monopolies is a really interesting perspective. I have modified it because I don't agree with everything that Peter Thiel has said, but I think that he's got some really key points there. I think Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore is, is a kind of a timeless piece on how technology gets adopted. And technology adoption is really the name of the game for how you take a product to market, and how you grow its revenue. If you target everybody, the innovators and early adopters, just the way you target laggards, you're going to fail because you're too diffuse. Mm-hmm. I think that crossing the chasm leads to kind of the evolution of account-based marketing of how do we focus on our ideal customer profile. And there's a number of books that are good in that area. I think that Probably it would be specific on what industry you're in or, or ha- what markets you're in. I, I, I like to think of markets rather than in
0: industries. Got it. Got it. No, this, is, this has been fantastic. I, I certainly appreciate the time. And if someone wanted to learn more about your, your systems, yourself, what would be the best way to reach out, would you say? Well, you,
1: can, you can reach me at olin at leadcrunch.ai. I'm also on LinkedIn and all the social media. Our company website has some free tools for you to play with, free AI targeting tools. For instance, one is the COVID impact score. Mm -hmm. How much has your market been impacted by COVID? And if you go to leadcrunch.ai in the top little corner, leadcrunch.com, both of them work, there's a little thing called free AI tools. And one of those is market analyzer. It helps you understand what your target markets are. And the other one is
0: COVID impact score. Very, very cool. Excellent. No, this has been fantastic. I, I wish you nothing but success and obviously look forward to seeing what else you guys come out with. And we will certainly keep an eye on on you guys as you're uh, growing through the uh, the ranks of the, uh, the, uh, the, the more successful businesses in the country. So congratulations.
1: Well, Matt, it's been a pleasure. I'm really flattered and honored to be a part of this. And so thank you. And uh, hopefully the audience has found this helpful. I think they will. I think they will. I appreciate
0: it. Thanks for listening, and remember, pass the secret sauce.